Welcome to the Creative Pen Podcast. I'm Joanna Penn, thriller author and creative entrepreneur, bringing you interviews, inspiration, and information on writing, publishing options, and marketing ideas for your book. You can find the episode show notes, your free author blueprint, and lots more information at thecreativepen.com. And that's pen with a double N. And here's the show. Hello creatives, I'm Joanna Penn and this is episode number 457 of the podcast and I'm actually recording this uh, right after recording the other podcast uh, as I am off to Las Vegas for the Business Masterclass with Dean Wesley Smith and Christine Catherine Rush and a whole load of other people. And uh, the Business Masterclass is fantastic. I've been um, twice before when it was in Oregon, so I'm really excited to go to Vegas. I've never been before. And it's funny because I usually, you know, I like to travel to places that have a very deep historical um, sort of history and religious places and uh, that type of thing. And so Vegas is sort of the opposite. <laughs> but I think it's its own ecosystem, right? I'm sure if you've been to Vegas, it feels like its own city, a, a, a very famous city. And I, I like visiting famous cities. So I'm looking forward to having a look around and taking some pictures. And of course, my pictures, as always, are on Instagram at author. So uh, that will be good. I'll also obviously share my notes from, well, what I can share from the Business Masterclass and any thoughts that might help you uh, in a couple of weeks time. So that'll be good. So today I'm talking to Marianne Cantwell about how to be a free range human, escape the nine to five, create a life you love and still pay the bills, which is the title of her book, which is out in a second edition. And Marianne was on the show like six years ago. And so writing a second edition if you write nonfiction, this is a big deal. It's something that many nonfiction authors do. I have just done a second edition of public speaking for authors, creatives and other introverts. And I am going to, I'm still intending to do a third edition of Career Change, which I wrote way back in 2006, 2007. And then I redid in 2012 when I actually left my job and changed my career. So yeah, that hasn't had a, that hasn't had another update since 2012. <laughs> So um, I also thinking like Business for Authors, which came out in 2014, a lot of it is evergreen, but, you know, probably could do with a little update. And so this is difficult. It's very hard because, of course, we always want to be moving forward, always want to be creating something new. But we also, as business people, we owe it to ourselves to manage our intellectual property. And uh, Dean Wesley Smith actually has a very good metaphor uh, he talks about, you know, when you introduce a book, so if you think about the sea, a big sort of expanse of blue ocean in front of you and all these books raining down from heaven, which is book launches. And they, as they launch, they hit the water and they're on the water, on the top of the water. But then, of course, they begin to sink immediately. They arrive. And if you don't do things to keep your books floating, then they disappear below the water and they get deeper and deeper and deeper down <laughs> under, buried under all the other books that come out all the time. And so you have to maintain your own IP. You have to update it if you want it to keep selling. And so Marianne talk, and I talk a bit about that, about when to do it and also how to make your book as evergreen as possible so that um, you're making it useful for people right now, but also not so specific in a time period that you have to update something every year. 
Uh, We also talk about finding what works for your personality, as Marianne identifies as a highly sensitive person, and also what she's doing differently in book marketing this time around and what has changed since 2013. So that is coming up. So in the 24 hours since I recorded the last introduction, (laughs) I have been updating my print files for the final German book and uploading them for pre-order along with keywords. Now, keywords in a foreign language. So if you publish on KDP, the KDP dashboard, you have to choose keywords. Um, And of course, What's very interesting, I mean, the categories are in English, the categories are from the US store, Um, the German store is different, the UK store is different, every store is different, and keywords are the same. Keywords that you want to rank, say, in the US store would be different to the keywords in the UK store or the German store or other stores. But of course, we only have one dashboard, which is kind of annoying. So keywords for German, (laughs) when you don't speak German, can be quite difficult. So what I was doing uh, was basically taking my keywords in English, translating them with Google Translate, then going to Amazon.de and typing them in and seeing what came up and then looking for other books, seeing if it matched. It was a very long, laborious process. And But then I heard, uh, well, I emailed actually Dave Chesson at Publisher Rocket and said, hey, Dave, any chance you're doing a German edition of Publisher Rocket? And Dave, being the wonderful chap he is, he's been on the show, obviously, many of you would have seen or read his blog great site, um, listen to his podcast. Uh, And basically, Dave has an edition of Publisher Rocket for German coming out. And I'm very grateful that I got access to an early edition. And I guess I did get permission to talk about this. Uh, So that update for German will be available to Rocket users soon. If you don't use uh, Publisher Rocket, it is a brilliant tool for finding keywords, both for your KDP dashboard and for your uh, Amazon ads. So uh, I obviously have an affiliate link thecreativepen.com forward slash rocket. And it really is great. And this this was not a specific plug for Dave. It wasn't meant to me, but it's turning into one because uh, I have, I just found it so much easier once I had rocket for German. It's it's so interesting how difficult it is doing things in a language you don't speak. I also wanted to uh, give another shout out to the Six Figure Author podcast with Lindsay Baroka, Joe Larlow and Andrea Pearson because they have just done a two episodes on their lessons learned from Nink or Novelists Inc, which I've been to. It's a great conference, very, very uh, specific information on book marketing. And um, on their show, they do uh, go into... Uh, some of the lessons that both Lindsay and Joe learned and that will definitely help you. I took notes from their podcast because I was not at Nink, so I know you'll find that useful. That's the Six Figure Author Podcast. Right, thanks for all your emails and tweets. Uh, JD McKay said, Timing is a thing. I'm planning on doing NaNoWriMo for the first time. I'm also starting an author club at my school. I'm a grade two teacher. Listening to this week's podcast, I discovered the NaNoWriMo kids program. Thank you so much. It's exactly what I need to build some structure in. The kids are going to love it. Uh, Really brilliant. And as um, Grant, that was from the Grant Faulkner interview, we talked about NaNoWriMo for kids. I think this is so important and we, we I actually shared, if you didn't listen to that, my own anecdote of basically writing what would have been a horror story when I was about, I think I was about 11, 12. Um, and I, I still remember the story and I wrote it and I gave it to my English teacher and she basically 
completely slated it and ruined me for writing for many, many years. Ruined me for 20 years, probably. (laughs) Because she essentially said it wasn't good to write that type of thing. Oh, if only she had let me write horror when I was 11 or 12, I may well be Stephen King (laughs) by now. But of course, um, yeah, so please encourage your children to read and write whatever they are interested in. And NaNoWriMo Kids program is fantastic. So definitely check that out. Torin Shaw said, just to let you know, I pre-ordered your new productivity book while listening to your NaNoWriMo episode. Thank you so much. And of course, you can get my productivity book in ebook format um, through the special NaNoWriMo box set at storybundle.com forward slash nano, N-A-N-O. And uh, that also contains loads of fantastic books on writing and publishing and making money. And it's really good. So storybundle.com forward slash nano couple more comments. Oh, Pilar said, Pilar writes on Twitter said, even with over 20 years experience as a voiceover and a love for all sorts of scripts, I still found a lot to take away from this episode on writing for audio first. Thank you, Pilar. And that was about the interview with Jules Horn um, when we were talking about writing for audio. And as I mentioned, and a lot of people have actually said, there is not enough about that. And it is becoming a true need in the industry because when you read one of your own books um you know I'm learning even with nonfiction well particularly with nonfiction often with you know bullet points and stuff like that you have to do things differently with audio so thank you for that Pilar and and a shout out to VR Janice who is an Ojibwe librarian I hope I said that right um maybe it's Ojibwa a librarian author artist and consultant um She says, I love listening to your podcast. I used to read your blog posts, but not a lot of the time. I'm a mobile librarian and author and listen to your podcast as I drive. I love the idea of a mobile librarian. Um, I think that's fantastic. Uh, And finally, thanks to Madison Wynn for sending me pictures of um, the largest collection of the early Christian grave slabs in Western Europe. Uh, yes. Hello to all you taffophiles who love uh, graveyards. So appreciate that. Okay. So thanks for all your emails and tweets. I really do appreciate it. You can always tweet me at the creative pen. Uh, you can also email joanna at the creative and, uh, or you can leave a comment on the show notes. And of course, you can always find the show notes. If you go to thecreativepen.com forward slash podcast, you will find all the 400 and whatever episodes there. So today's show is sponsored by Kobo Writing Life, and I'll play a word from the team in a minute. But also, very excitingly, I know I'm promoting lots on NaNoWriMo right now, but it is very exciting. I have a special promotion on Kobo for NaNoWriMo. Uh, I have a three book Writer's Toolbox box set, which includes The Successful Author Mindset, How to Market a Book, and How to Make a Living with Your Writing, which is all in one ebook box set only on Kobo. And you can get 50% off that for NaNoWriMo, or you can get The Successful Author Mindset in audio format, again, 50% off only on Kobo Audio. You can use promotion code, all caps. So this is in all capital letters, K-W-L-P-O-D, PEN. So K-W-L-P-O-D-PEN with a double N at checkout. And of course, I'll put that in the show notes if you would like to get 50% off ebook box set or uh, the audiobook. 
So this type of corporate sponsorship pays for the hosting, transcription and editing of the show. But my time in creating the show and my continued enthusiasm (laughs) is sponsored by you, my wonderful patrons. Thanks to everyone supporting the show on Patreon. I really do appreciate your support. Like the tweets and emails and comments, it demonstrates you enjoy the show and want it to continue. You can support the show just a couple of dollars a month, uh, less than a coffee a month, and you'll get the extra monthly Q&A backlist, um, lots of audio sort of 45 minute episodes with me answering specific questions. You can support the show at patreon.com, p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com forward slash the creative pen. Right, here's a word from Kobo Writing Life and then we'll get on with the interview. Hi, I'm Tara. And I'm Steph. And we're from Kobo Writing Life, Kobo's free, fast and easy self-publishing platform. KWL was built by authors for authors, and our team of dedicated book lovers is always working hard to help authors reach new readers around the world. With this in mind, we've created a way for authors to reach new readers with direct audiobook upload. Authors can now publish an audiobook right in their KWL account as easily as they can publish an ebook. You can create a customizable table of content, set the price in 16 different currencies, and even set up a pre-order for your audiobook with no date limitations. We don't ask for exclusivity, and you will always control your pricing. We currently provide a lot of promotional opportunities for Kobo Writing Life authors and their ebooks, and we will be expanding this to include audiobook titles. We're really pleased to be able to increase opportunities for authors and help them grow their audio sales in this new exciting market. If you're a KWL author and don't yet have access to the audiobooks tab, email us at writinglife.kobo.com and we'll get you sorted. We're all about providing excellent support. Don't forget, you can purchase audiobooks on kobo.com and they will download directly to your Kobo app. So all your ebook and audiobooks are available in one easy app. You can start your free audiobook trial today. If you want to learn more about Kobo Writing Life, check out our blog, podcast, and find us on social. You can create your free account at kobo.com slash writinglife. Back to you, Joanna. Marianne Cantwell is the author of Be a Free Range Human, Escape the 9 to 5, Create a Life You Love and Still Pay the Bills. She's also a speaker and online entrepreneur. Welcome, Marianne. Hey, Joanna. I'm excited to be here. Oh, it's great to have you back on the show. Now, you were on the show. It's incredible, but it was 2013 when the first iteration of the book came out. So I want to start with with this question. Why a new version of the book and why now? And I say this as someone who has just also done a second edition. I know how hard it is. So tell us about why. Absolutely. You know, it's definitely, as you'll know, not generally the advice to spend many months of your life rewriting a book that has already been released, already done well, for the simple reason that you can obviously make more sales, so common wisdom goes, with a new title. So why spend time doing it? Well, for me, it was a mix of a personal decision and a practical decision. So on the personal side, I had uh, a fairly nice to have problem, which is that this book wouldn't stop selling. So without me doing that much over the last few years, it had kind of got enough word of mouth, enough traction, enough links all over the internet that meant that 
people kept buying it, which would have been great, except I didn't agree with some of the advice in there anymore. And so I had this book that people kept picking up, finding for the first time, getting excited about. And I was like, that's really great for most of it. But there are some pieces that I think are a bit outdated and also not in line with the advice that I would give. And so when my publisher approached me and said, hey, you know, you've got a book that is a consistent seller. Have you considered doing a second edition? The real reason I jumped on it was to me, this was an opportunity to create something that was more evergreen that I wouldn't, you know, I got to the point where I'd removed the links from my website to the book because I was like, oh, please don't buy this book. <laughs> um, and I was like, I, I don't want to do that. I want to stand up, be proud of this. Now I'll be proud of it in 10 years time. And I, I got to fix that from this. And on top of that, the final reason was, um, and happy to, happy to talk about this, as you know, the book trade is a bit risk averse. And when you have proven your stripes on a first edition, it turns out they're very keen to support you on a second edition in terms of placement, in terms of press. So there are all this perfect storm of reasons to come back. Mm. And I find this so interesting and I didn't expect it to be such hard work doing a second edition, oh. but I know it's so funny and you, you, you know, you sigh there, um, but the, you mentioned they're making it ever evergreen. Um, and this is a great point. So what are your tips like for people who are writing nonfiction? How, you know, what are some things that will help make it evergreen or at least let's say a decade? Because I, I just don't oh think God. it's going to go forever, <laughs> right? Nothing can go forever. But, you know, let's say a, a decade long, what, what would be some things you can do to make a book more evergreen? Yeah, this is the fine line between making it resonate right now, right, and making it resonate with a future that we can't even predict. So little examples, things that dated my first edition were things like I talked about listening to music on your iPod. Oh, yeah. How, how was I to know that on the, <laughs> on the opening page, I would have dated my book by page? I couldn't have known that. So we changed it to, listen to listening to music on your phone. Now, I don't know if in 10 years time, we're going to be listening to music on our phones. Mm -hmm. So there are some decisions that I think you have to make in the best faith. So I still am taking the risk that that will be dated. Um, however, the places where I changed it so that they weren't just updated, but they were a bit more evergreened, were where I had gone into some more specific how-tos. And I'd really gone granular on strategy around things like, and this is not a strategic book in the sense of, you know, how to do X, Y, Z in business. That's not really what it's about. But there were a few chapters where I kind of hopped on some bandwagons and talked about, you know, how to do Twitter well, um, which is such a tangential point to this book. But that tangential point suddenly started dating the books. I talked about things that just weren't as relevant anymore. So what I did for those bits was I moved, I took things that I thought, oh, this is interesting to readers and probably relevant to them, but is likely to change. And I move them into bonuses. So we link out um, in places in the book to things that are, might be a little bit more tactical. I don't go into tactics in the book. I say, for more information and whatever, go to this link. And they go to a page on my website. So if I'm recommending a resource, for example, if that resource disappears, I can replace it without having to do a second edition. 
Mm, or third, a third edition. <laughs> oh gosh, third. Oh, that's not happening. Like, we're done. <laughs> we're so done. But it's but it's funny because I mean I have now I'm on probably the fifth edition of my successful self-publishing uh-huh. book. Um, I've only done one in audio and two in print. But you know, like the fifth ebook edition, and it, you're exactly right. It's the technical stuff that does uh, you know potentially age. So going evergreen, I think you're right. Linking out to things, uh, fantastic. So I did want to ask you about that because I know a lot of the listeners are doing second editions. So let's get into um, the book itself. So let's start with what is a free range human and how is it different to a digital nomad, which I know many people don't want to be? Well, to me, a free range human is quite different to a digital nomad because a digital nomad can be a free range human, but a free range human doesn't have to be a digital nomad. Now, people who think that's just like alien language, let me explain. (laughs) To me, a free range human is the opposite to someone who feels really confined in how they're showing up and who they have to be in order to get paid. So a free range human is someone who has created a work life, be it a business, be it a portfolio career, be it a life as an author, that fits, number one, who they actually are. So their personality, uh, if they're, say, more of an introvert, they don't have to pretend every day to go out and be an extrovert who loves networking, for example. So there's someone who fits. You've created a work life that fits your personality and your strengths. And number two, you've created a work life that actually fits the life that you want. So be that you know, traveling the world, be that staying close to home and having more time with people you love, all of which are represented in the book. So it comes from, it's about the way that you make decisions about the change that you're making or about the business or the career that you're building. It's very internally referenced, starting with you and starting with the life you want. And that is the the starting point of being a free range human. Mm. Yeah, and I like that. I think it resonates with me, you know, being an independent author. Um, you know, I know you chose for many business reasons that we talked about before to go with a publisher. But this idea of, um, you know, choosing what you want to do and not f- having to fit into any box. And it's interesting, again, you mentioned that uh, publishers are risk averse. And this is a problem for traditionally published authors who are basically, if you know, if you have a best-selling business book like you do, you have to write another best-selling business book. Like if you came out with a romance, they may not be interested in publishing it. In fact, your publisher, um, Kogan Page, right? Um, mm-hmm. They're not going to publish a romance, <laughs> you know. No. So they have their their boxes. I mean. yeah, yes. <laughs> so what are the what are the benefits? Because I know, and the word on the author street is you. You know, writing in the same genre is the way to be successful. But you talk about this sort of portfolio career, much bigger than just authors, obviously. But what are the benefits of this portfolio career, and not just focusing on one thing? Hmm. I think. Something that really impacted my thinking around this, and I talk about this in my TED talk of the hidden power of not always fitting in. I talk about this idea of being liminal, of how, um, which, and liminal means being someone who has a foot in one world and a foot in who you are, a foot in your difference. So you could be, say, someone who writes about wellness, but you come from a corporate background. So you're not like the, a classic hippie. And so that difference becomes your PowerPoint because then you're able to reach people who might be more traditional with these ideas. So the idea of being liminal is that your difference is your edge in whatever you do. And if you t- extrapolate from that idea and go into how you handle your career, 
when you look at people who end up becoming real leaders in what they do, it's very easy to draw a linear line and say, well, obviously they started X, they did Y, and now they're doing Z. But when you look at people really thriving, really killing it out there, following their creativity, but doing it in a very grounded, sensible way, that doesn't always seem to be the case. So one of my favorite examples is Elizabeth Gilbert. So obviously has written across genres, uh, had a successful career, uh, even before Eat, Pray, Love, you know, was doing pretty well by author standards. And and then did Eat, Pray, Love, didn't then go down the track of going on the speaker circuit, of going down that self-help route. Instead, she writes a novel about, I think, is it 19th century plant collectors? Yeah, like, like something gardening. completely off it. Yeah. yeah, botanist. She suddenly writes about botany. Was Everyone was like, oh, that, that was new. And then she comes back and writes about creativity. And now she's written The City of Girls, which, by the way, is mind-blowing and amazing and a wondrous novel. And yes, the platform she had let her do that, but the way she got on that platform was to write that book that was completely – she was a novelist before she wrote Eat, Pray, Love. Right. So when you look at stories like that, you can go, well, they were the lucky ones. They broke out. But I think that it's all about what is your through line in whatever you do. So if you want to be more of a portfolioist, what's the thing that you bring that's consistent? Is it a way of bringing people alive and making them feel more normal within themselves when they feel like they don't fully fit. That can be a theme throughout different types of books. So while I think that if you write a different book every year that's completely, you know, all over the place, that's going to be difficult. I think it's going to be difficult because you won't be honing your craft as much, not because the industry won't see you in a certain way. I, I really, really think there's a huge, huge power to owning your own course um, I'll just give you a personal example of that um, here is I think that it, like if people look at someone like me who's you know written a book, it's is done well, you know, second edition, the obvious path for me would have been I had several uh, approaches about a different book um, off the back of my TED talk. And I decided not to do that yet because I didn't feel like I was ready to move on and do that until I'd done things that were a little bit different first. And so I think that it's very important not to be led by the publishing industry to do the next obvious thing, because we all know, you know, we've seen the examples time and time again, when someone writes the book they're meant to write and they knew they didn't want to write that book, but they thought they had to write it. And that never is the one that takes off. So I think it's really important to have that internal referencing, you know, in, in what can be a very risk averse industry. Mm, absolutely. So you do in, I mean, in the book, obviously, um, be a free, free range human is not about being an author. I've got to just tell everyone that we're talking about <laughs> that because you're obviously an author and, you know, I can, I can see my own career in much of what you're talking about, but you do have this really interesting chapter on the different free range business types that people might consider. And I certainly am always talking about multiple streams of income. I have mm-hmm. multiple streams myself, um, you know, similar to you. So what are some of the different free range business types that, that people might consider? Oh, gosh, there's so many. So we had to choose, I think we chose five or six. I can't remember in this edition. And they go from services, which are the easiest ones. So that's, for example, I'll stick within the author world. So that would be a service might be uh, editing, book editing, uh, proofreading, author coaching, 
all of those things. So they're services. So you do something for someone else. They're the easiest way to start. I think they're the easiest way to actually make money because it's so direct. You don't have to create a thing. You do the thing. Um, the next uh, one that I'm a huge fan of, of is products, so online products. Um, so that's education. So we might be talking about packaging up and having a three-week boot camp, for example. We have an example in there of someone who runs a writer's boot camp um, as one of the things that she does in her portfolio. So that's where you suddenly come up with you know, a package or um, a course or an experience like a boot camp. Then you have physical products, um, which I admit in the first edition, I really poo-pooed that idea. I was like, oh, yeah, well, you know, you can't make any money from that. And I completely revised my view on it in this edition. I felt a little bit bad about that after I realized that it was just my lack of knowledge. Um, and so I, I really give some examples of, uh, for example, a friend of mine who is a photographer who has a sideline, and I talk about in the book, in these beautiful glass boxes that wedding photographers now are using around the world to gift photos to their clients and present them beautifully rather than just handing them an envelope full of pictures. And that's a nice example because that's someone who was in a creative industry. It could equally have been as an author, for example, who thought of something physical for his industry. So is there something you can think of that would be really useful, for example, to other writers? Um, and I think there's a few other, I can't remember them. I think we've got events, so people who are good at putting on events and possibly something else. But <laughs> I guess what speaking, I really, I can never remember. Speaking yeah, is speaking part of that. Would, speaking would, could be part of that. I think that if you look at that to me would fall into, well, it could fall into, I'd probably say it falls into a service because you're showing up and doing it. Um, but as you know, the, the question with speaking is, you know, are you making your money from speaking or are you getting, making your money from the opportunities that speaking opens up? Um, and if you're making your money from the opportunities speaking opens up, then it's very likely you're then selling services. So you might be selling consulting, for example. So there's so what I love is there's so many ways. And what I talk about in the book is that there are, you don't just have to do one of them at any point in time. You can be someone who has a main thing and you bring in this little sideline that's related to what you do, but that opens up so many more doors than most people in your industry might be thinking about. So for example, for me with the Free Range Humans book, as you know, we have links throughout the book that lead to these bonuses. And they're, they're, I don't know if you've looked at them, but they are so extensive. I think one of them is like almost three hours of bonus on one bonus. And these things I couldn't fit in the book, but they take you to the website and they're you know, free to access bonuses. But when people are on the website, they then have the opportunity to put their name down on my email list. They have the opportunity to then hear about, um, I'm announcing some free range coaches who are my official coaches, um, which is one way that you know, we make money. Uh, we run a course once a year, a pretty big course. We used to have loads of passive products, which I've taken down, but we could put them back up. So that for me, you know, for me, I'm not relying on books as an income stream at all. I'm using a book as a way of putting something out in the world that I really believe in, getting people in this way of thinking, giving them good, really good quality. And some of those people are going to choose 
to sign up to other things, uh, other products, uh, other services delivered by people close to me. Mm. So I think there's just some creative ways of, uh, of doing things. Yeah. And so there were two more income streams there. So I think you do affiliate income, which uh, would be promoting other people's services and products. Oh, yeah, that's right. yeah um, we, we talk about advertising. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and I, I do a lot of affiliate income. And also you mentioned licensing there. So basically other people doing free range coaching under your brand, essentially, your so, license. Yes. I've got, um, and we're putting us up actually in the next week or so, we've got, it's not, it's sort of licensing. Um, for me, it's these are people who I've worked with very, very closely over a number of years and who've already been involved in uh, co-running events and courses for me and who have coaching practices in their own right. But what I have, because of the book, is a huge pent-up demand for high-end good coaches who can actually work with these through with people you know, through the process. And so I've done deals with it, with them as official coaches who, who use the, the process that we do, um, yeah, to deliver that. So it's kind of licensing. It's, um, kind of, you could call it outsourcing, but yeah, I guess the way of using the name of what you do to, um, to, to, yeah, to get, uh, to show people who, who are the right trusted suppliers. Mm, but also, um, I'm totally obsessed with scalable income versus, you know, the sort of time base, the mo- money for time, like you said, with services, if you, you personally were going to do all that coaching, you wouldn't be able to help people. You'd get burnt out. Um, you know, it just wouldn't be scalable. Whereas, you know, what you're doing there is bringing, is making it so you can make some, uh, revenue from work you don't have to physically be there for, but you've kind of done all the work in advance. So that to me is scalable income in the same way that book sales are. You do all of this and then the book goes out there. You've done the work. It's bringing you money. So uh, I love that scalable income. I do. I'm, I'm just going to say something on that. Um, in the first edition, I said exactly what you said. Um, mm. I actually don't fully subscribe to that anymore. And I'll tell you why. Um, I think for some of us, you and me specifically, that's a really great model because we're people who are very good attractors. We're people who are good at putting something out there, you know, be it a book or a brand or a podcast and attracting people to it. It's just how we show up and how we work. Not everyone is like that. And that's one huge reason I rewrote huge chunks of this book because through working with so many people, I found that some people scalability is in terms of being a stronger attractor and therefore, you know, getting people in and not having to do the work isn't their best way of making a good uh, freedom giving amount of money and having time for other people. It would be actually better for them if they're people who form deep trust close one-to-one with people um, and are better with a smaller number of people rather than loads of people, for them, it would be a lot smarter to look at how can they raise their prices significantly. So as in they may only to go, how much would it take for you to only have, if you're wanting to search, for example, to do coaching or consulting, how much would you have to charge to only have to have, say, 10 clients a year? How would that look? What would your hours be like? What if you want to work only nine months of the year and have three months off, but only with five or 10 clients? How could you put your charging model together so that that worked for you, so that you still had a ton of time freedom, but your time wasn't spent attracting a thousand people. It was spent deep diving with five or 10, if that makes sense. So the the reason I say that is that I think that all of us have different um, different strengths and not everyone's a good attractor. And so if you know someone's listening in and going, 
oh my gosh, I love the idea of scalable income, but actually that means I have to like, you know, create all this stuff and put it all out there. But actually what I'm really, really good at is when I'm sitting with someone and they trust me and look me in the eye. It's like, well, you need to revise how you're charging at that point. Because mm. if, does that, make, does that make sense? It's a slight distinction between the two, but both of them are scalable in the sense of you're not working all hours. You're not having to show up every weekend. You're not letting uh, how other people do things dictate how your year looks, but they're different ways of getting to that goal. Mm, yeah, I totally agree. And it's a lot to do with your personality and how how you want to live. I mean, you're a big advocate of, you know, deciding on your lifestyle, I guess, yes. your lifestyle before your income. So, you know, I, we've both been in situations where we've earned great money, but have been really miserable. <laughs> so, yeah, we've you know, been there. <laughs> yeah, hence why we now do what we do. But I do, do want to come back on personality because um, you mentioned being a highly sensitive person um, mm. on your website and also in the book and I wonder how does that affect how you do business oh completely completely um do you want me to explain what that is yeah yeah in case people don't know okay it's so it's a term it's not my term and no I wish it was it was um coined by Elaine Aron who wrote a great uh, book around it and it means it's someone who has a more sensitized nervous system so if other people feel things on a six out of 10, you feel things on a 10 out of 10. So that could be noise. You hear you're bothered by noise when other people don't notice it. Bright lights uh, really get to you. It could be a, a range of different, uh, it's a different for everyone, but you, you feel things more strongly and you also feel your emotions more strongly. You can maybe, you're very impacted by how someone else might be feeling, the mood in the room um, you feel more. And that's a highly sensitive person. Uh, obviously, a lot of people see that as a disadvantage and it can be if you're in an environment that isn't great for that. But I also think it's one of the biggest strengths that we can have, especially as authors, because the level of empathy that an HSP, as we call it, has is really high. We, we feel everything and therefore we can write everything. And for me, the way it's impacted my business has been, number one, I wouldn't have my business without it. I would never have quit my job because I would have pushed through. I wouldn't, that everyone who comes to my work says, it's like you can read my mind. And I'm like, of course I can, because I feel everything. <laughs> so I, I write it and I speak it because I feel it. And therefore people feel heard and all of that. So that number two, but number three, it means that for me, it means that I've said no to a lot of opportunities and been had to learn to be very, uh, judicious in who I spend time with and where I allow my work to be placed. So can I give you an example mm, yeah. of this? So it's actually a really recent one. Um, actually, you're the first podcast I've spoken to this about. Last week, uh, we were approached by The Sun um, to run a piece on my book. And that's the biggest, as you know, newspaper in the UK. And I said no. Oh, it's um, so funny you say that. I've said no to the mirror uh, as well. No, just explain to people who don't know UK papers. Like, I presume that's why. 
Oh yeah, yeah. You, yeah there's a lot of reasons. So, oh, by the way, for people who are, I, I'm actually, I, I'm here actually in New York. I live in the US these days, but my, most, a lot of my readership is in the UK. And so, in the UK, the biggest newspaper is the Sun, and that is a. I don't know how to put this, Joe? Let's this. call it a tabloid. A very, a very a popular tabloid. tabloid. <laughs> I, I described it to my um, American partner as it, it's like Fox News, but lower quality. Oh yeah, um, that'd be about right. <laughs> I was like, if Fox News lost the classiness. That's what it would be. Um, and so it's it's not, I mean, to be entirely fair to it, it was a friendly piece. It was in the employment pages. It wouldn't have been a hatchet job. I actually got would have got to write the piece. So it was like this dream thing. And I was, it was signed off already. I was like, all I had to do, and I even to write it, it was the, the most amazing thing. They were going to read my PR people from the publishing house were going to repurpose a piece I'd written for another paper. It was guaranteed to run. I had no work to do. And I was like, pull it, say no, we're out. I'm not doing it. And the reasons uh, were, it was back to being, the, it was the HSP thing. My, as soon as I got that email, I felt this tight knot in my chest. I was like, absolutely not. Um, and I spent a day on it and it was this sensitivity because all the, everyone I asked about it said, why wouldn't you run it? It's a friendly piece. It's in the right pages it's the biggest paper in, you know, in, in a country where you've just launched your book. Cause my, my U S um, publication date isn't until the end of September. And this is, you know, mid, mid September when this happened. And the reason was, I just knew from previous experience that the impact on me of the, while there are plenty of sun readers who I am sure would be a really great fit for the book, you know, people who just pick it up, who read it for the sports section, who happen mm. to pick it up and have a little browser. I'm sure there's plenty who would be. There is also a number of them that certainly wouldn't be. That would end up trolling me. That would end up, it, my book is not a how-to guide. It's a very sensitive piece. Like, you know, it's about understanding yourself before you build something. And I know what would happen online because I've had tastes of it before. And what happens is that I then go into a cave and I don't come out of that cave. And so I have to be, and this is why I share this now about being HSP, because knowing that that is who I am, I no longer beat myself up about it. I no longer say, oh, well, you know, maybe I should take the good with the bad and I'll deal with it. I'm like, no, I know I won't deal with it. I know how this is going to go. And so being realistic about who I am, it is a no. Yeah. And that's why I end up saying, and see, that's, that's that difference, which I used to be like, oh, I should do it. And I have made that mistake before. Mm, yeah, it comes back to the, um, Derek Sivers. I'm sure you've read Derek Sivers. He's got a <laughs> yes. great uh, blog post called Hell Yeah or No. And it's yes. been, yeah, it's been in some of his books, but I come back to that. And it's like, look, if I don't just go hell yeah, that is a great opportunity, then it has to be a no. And, and I realize some people listening, I mean, there is a point in your career when you kind of do say yes to everything because mm. that is, you know, you're not as confident in yep. who you are and maybe that's the difference between your first edition and your second edition but yep. I think I think you did the right thing there and as I said I've said no to <laughs> tabloid pieces before I'm with you I'm with you with feeling like oh just a little bit uncomfortable with with that so but on that I really am interested because book marketing I mean that you're talking there is kind of classic PR get into a newspaper get an article whatever yeah. um but a lot has changed in book marketing since 2013 so so what what are you doing differently to how you did book marketing back then? Like what's changed? Uh, what is effective now? 
Oh, right. First thing was being a second edition, I have been through this before on this exact title. So I knew number one, get started earlier than anyone tells you to was my first rule. So I think you may have noticed, um, I think I, you may have seen my Facebook post or however we connected around this, which was months before the start date of my publisher's push on the, on the marketing of this. And so number one, I think we need to start earlier these days because there's a lot of noise out there. Number two, press. I think the thing that hasn't changed is this. Press is a wonderful way to get status and not such an effective way to get book sales. And I'm very aware of that. So my publisher kindly has given me a really lovely, great PR team. I wish I could remember who they were. Um, and <laughs> they, I should actually look them up while I talk to you so I can give them a little plug. They've, they've actually been really, um, really great for me. However, I also know that I, I'm not relying on that team here you know, who's got me in the Telegraph. We're going to be in City AM, I think in Stylist, in some in-flight mags, um, doing a BBC interview soon, um, coming to London for that. That's all really nice. But I'm not expecting to sell any books from those things. I'm expecting to sell like, a few hundred maybe. What really sells books is number one, in my experience of uh, promoting this book has been anything where you can get a press piece that is also published online that where you have a direct link out to the book purchasing page that has been something that in on the first edition worked really well. And I'm already suspecting it's going to happen again. Um, we've got a piece coming up saying red magazine online, which I know is going to do well for the book. But the thing that works most importantly now that didn't happen in 2013 is podcasting is our access to people like you, like people who are in your niche area and having this opportunity to have more in-depth conversations that aren't just, you know, here's a plug for a book. You know, this is to me where I've seen, I can see the books, um, obviously I don't have sales data because it's uh, actually traditionally published, but I can see our Amazon sales spiking after every podcast interview gets released. So I can see like a surge up in the ranking. Um, so something is working in having these honest, open conversations with podcasters. And my aim at the start of my book uh, tour was to do a podcast tour and to get a hundred on a hundred different podcasts uh, over the first few months. And I think we're around, we're getting, are we getting up to 50 bookings now or something like that? Um, so very intentional, um, very much um, long-term play because I, I wanted um, conversations that would last over time with people I really trusted and a lot of work on the ground, but honestly, that's made such a difference. That and my my own following as well um, have been where the sales came from. Yeah, fantastic. And, uh, you know, I'm sure you know Google's now indexing podcasts and that's only just happened August 2019. Yep. So this is a huge mm -hmm. change that certainly wasn't around, you know, back in 2013. So, um, yeah, I, I'm totally with you. I think podcasting sells books. <laughs> it's just, a, yeah, I buy well, I hope so. Yeah. It's an experiment. <laughs> oh, no, I think it totally does. I get most of my book recommendations now from podcasts and I listen mainly to audiobooks. So, you know, yeah, that's just say one thing I'd add to that is I've had people over the last few years, you know, release books and they'd approach me like self-published usually and say, oh, can I send you a free copy so that you can, you can, if you like it, you can promote it to your following. And I'd always say no I, directly. And I'll be very direct. I say, I, I can't say yes to that because I don't 
promote things to my following from being asked. I don't actually know how much I'll love this book. I'm now going to be nervous reading your book (laughs) because what if I don't like it? Like there were so many reasons. I'd be like, no, but I don't have a podcast. And if I have one, it probably won't be an interview podcast. But if someone had, if I did have a podcast and someone approached me and with a very carefully crafted message that showed they knew who I was and what this was about said, here are some reasons I think this will be a fit. Here's an episode we could talk about. Here are some topics. You know, you know I've got an actual podcaster page I send out to podcasters that has suggested episode topics that aren't just plug my book. Mm. Now suddenly we have a relationship and it's a lot easier. What I'm noticing I did not expect naively was that podcasters, if they like the episode we've done, they're promoting it all over their social media channels. They're saying, you know, this is one of my favorite episodes we've recorded. You know, Marianne's the author of this book and all their comments are people saying, I need to buy the book. And I didn't think of that. I was just thinking people would listen to it. So, you know, instead of saying, how do I get someone to promote the book? Asking, how can I create meaningful conversations with someone who has some space for content? And if that conversation goes well, odds are, well, maybe some of them will decide that they want to promote this more because it's interesting for their for their readers and listeners. And I think that is what's changed in 2019. It's not as direct anymore. You have to be thinking of the conversation. Where do you fit in a wider conversation all the time? Mm, yeah, I agree. And also, uh, you know, people listening to our voices, you know, obviously we have met in person, you know, we are, we are, yes. um, I guess, colleagues from, from a way back. Um, but it's, <laughs> but equally, you know, we haven't spoken in years, so it's really nice to catch up, but people can tell whether people are transparent and authentic by their voice. And so I feel like if I invite someone on this show, People listening can tell whether or not this is there's some BS, you know, basically. And so it, it, there's nowhere to hide, I think, with voice. Yeah. Whereas if you're writing an article for whatever magazine, you know, we all know how to fake voice with writing. That's what we do. We're writers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you can't you can't do it in person, right? Yep, that is actually really true. I think it's nice as well, like getting to hear someone, getting to know someone. It's just. Yeah, it's just all around nice. And I think it feels, there's a feeling to it that I really enjoy. I I remember that some of the messages I got from people who really want me to promote their stuff. And I was like, I literally even know who you are or what this is going to (laughs) be. Like I felt, and I I go into some conversations, I really wanted to help them. I was like, look, some advice for you about how you might want to go about this. And one of the suggestions I would make is, look, find people who have podcasts, work out where you might fit, work out how you can help them. And what I got back was, oh my God, I'm so relieved because I've been hitting a wall with this. That's why I kept saying, I just don't know how to get anyone to help me. It feels like I'm doing it all by myself. And just twisting it and saying, look, how can you help others in this way actually gave people something to do, which I think is such a relief. You know, we're not about pushing and plugging to, you know, self-promoting can feel very difficult, but I think that promoting a topic, even if it is about yourself or about something you've created that you were you really passionate about and you're like, you know what, people would really benefit from this. That makes such a huge difference. 
Mm, definitely. So uh, we're almost out of time, but just uh, one more thing uh, in the book and uh, quoting from the book. I don't make my living by being paid to write. However, <laughs> I've been writing every week as part of my business for years. And I wonder if you comment on this, because so many people think that being a writer means, you know, everything you write means you get paid for that. And so what <laughs> do you mean by that sentence? Like, how are you a writer when you don't get paid to write in that way? <laughs> Well, I've been, when I started Free Range Humans, I'd already had a few other little businesses, but I started Free Range Humans. It started out as a blog back in the day. And actually, and if you just know it, we re- just relaunched the Free Range Humans website and we've got some of the old original, you know, Free Range 1.0 blog posts up there in the sort of classic archives. And so firstly, it was a blog. So I was back in the blogging day. I was, I was blogging. That was what started to draw people into what I did. Um, that was how I got opportunities to guest blog back when that was what one did. So I was writing and that was what first got people to know about me back when I ran really simple group coaching programs um, to help people figure out what they wanted to do and all that. Then I started a weekly newsletter called the Friday Love Letters that ran for five years. And every Friday, no matter what, I would write several thousand words to what was then a tiny following. You know, I, I hand gathered this following from these workshops I'd run for other brands where I would go in, I'd run a workshop for them and I'd pass a piece of paper around the room and people would write their emails down and I would go home and you know, put them in, in the system. And then we grew from there to 1,000, 10,000, 20,000. And that was the Friday Love Letters. They grew everything. They were what led to me getting a book deals that were led to me having a book that did really well, what led to me going from running group coaching to running courses, then having other people run courses. And every piece of that was me showing up and writing every week for five years. Um, and that's what that meant. These days, I my focus full-time isn't as much free-range humans. Um, I have a lot of other side projects. I, you know, I, I do a lot of more creative projects. I'm very much... Uh, I'm definitely not in that sort of hyped up online space anymore. Um, However, whenever I want to do something, I write an email. So I spent three days crafting the email that led to the book spiking to, I think it was in the top three in the entrepreneurship category for several weeks. And I spent three days writing what seemed like a really off the cuff special, so like a random email that really nailed it, really got people involved in buying it. And that's what I mean. You know, when I say I write, but I'm not getting paid to for the words. People didn't pay me to send that email. Um, you know, I write, I'm writing a piece for Red Magazine. They don't pay their writers to write things. You know, it's often people like me who are writing things who link out to our books. So I think that's what I mean. We don't get paid directly, but you get paid through other things. Mm, I think that's so important. And I hope everyone listening (laughs) takes that advice because (laughs) so much of the writing we do, I think, when you're building a business is not, as you say, it's not freelance writing, which is when you get paid for those exact words. It is brand building. It's growing assets. It's email marketing. It's all that. So yeah, um, yeah, there's just so much more. Right. So where can people find you and the book and everything you do online well if you want to check out the book go 
to beafreerangehuman.com. And the reason I suggest going to that site rather than just Googling it is that you'll definitely get the new second edition links from that site. So you won't accidentally pick up an old edition. So you go to beafreerangehuman.com and it links out to like Amazon UK, Amazon US, and you can choose your preferred booksellers from that point <laughs> once you know what it looks like. Um, so number one, beafreerangehuman.com. If you're on Instagram, you can follow me at freerangemarianne and you can check out the brand new Free Range Humans website at www free-range-humans.com. Brilliant. Well, thanks so much for your time, Marianne. That was great. Thank you so much. So I hope you found the interview with Marianne interesting today and that it gave you some ideas for your own book marketing and also if you're considering a second edition or how to make your book evergreen. So next week, I'm talking to Vikram Chandra about how his best-selling book, Sacred Games, became a very successful Netflix series. You might have seen some of that on Netflix. It is a fascinating story. I mean, the book is fascinating, but it's also a really interesting interview. Um, We talk about the aspects of the journey from book to screen, plus how Vikram manages his cross-cultural life as he teaches in the USA and also has a home in Mumbai. And he writes these epic stories. And we talk about the difference between the kind of Eastern storytelling tradition, which is more circular, and the Western, which is more this um, hero's journey arc idea. So we we talk about that. And also Vikram because he is a has very interweaving timelines and characters, and he really does write big books. Uh, he has created some software to help other writers manage plots across timelines. So we are talking about that too. It's a great interview. I love I love talking to Vikram. I'm also hoping he's going to come on my books and travel podcast to talk about Mumbai as well. So uh, happy writing, and I'll see you next time. Thanks for listening today. I hope you found it helpful. You might also like the backlist episodes and show notes available at thecreativepen.com forward slash podcast. You can also get your free author blueprint at thecreativepen.com forward slash blueprint. If you'd like to connect, you can tweet me at The Creative Pen or find me on Facebook at The Creative Pen. See you next time.